Thank you for turning with me this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this morning we're going to conclude our series of sermons through uh, 2 Timothy. My plan is to move on into the book of Titus, but to move through that book quickly. Uh, much of what is in Titus we've already covered in 1 and 2 Timothy. Uh, my plan is to preach these three sermons through Titus, and then we'll move on to a new series for the fall. But this morning we're in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're picking up with verse 9, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. And as we read, let us remember again, this is the Word of God. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself. We vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. He will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord will be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you again so much for the truth of your word. I pray your blessing upon our deliberations over this morning. That you would be our teacher and our guide. Our help and our strength. Open our eyes to see. Our ears to hear. Our hearts to receive your truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, letter writing has become something of a lost art in this day of uh, Facebook, email, text messaging, instant messaging, Skype, and Twitter. Fewer and fewer people take the time to sit down and think through composing a letter. The reality is that the way the government is going, it may come a day when we don't have a postal service to deliver the letters we write anyway. But things have certainly changed. Uh, Back when Carol and I were courting, uh, none of those newfangled ways of communicating had been invented. That was in the pre-computer, pre-cell phone days. Ours was a long-distance relationship since I was a student at Covenant College and she was in nursing school at the University of Nebraska. I only had enough money for an occasional phone call from the trusty 
payphones on campus. Some of you don't even know what a payphone is. So we communicated primarily through letters. Uh, we would exchange letters through the mail several times a week. In our letters, we would uh, share with each other what we'd been doing, how our studies were going, what we'd been reading, how life was with our roommates, and other things we thought that the other person might want to know. Well, after the bulk of the letter was written, that is, after we had written everything we really intended to write, we would jot down a few things at the end of the letter that we wanted to include before we brought the letter to a close. And often those were kind of disjointed statements, kind of random thoughts, not long paragraphs, but short comments, often quite personal, that were kind of tacked on at the end. Well, that's where we are in this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. This is the end of the letter. It's the closing section where it's obvious Paul is adding on some personal thoughts. And these final thoughts here in this letter give us really an insight into Paul's relationship with Timothy, about his circumstances, and about his relationships with other people as well. Uh, These final thoughts are somewhat disjointed, but I think they give us a fascinating insight into these two great men of God. Four things I want to draw from this text for you this morning. And first, I want you to see Uh, Two personal requests that here at the end of the letter Paul makes to Timothy. Two requests. The first request is for human companionship. You have to remember that Paul was in prison in Rome. And this wasn't a time of being under house arrest like his previous time being in prison there. Now Paul was really in prison being held in a damp, dark uh, prison cell where it appears he was basically in isolation. And Paul longed for human companionship. And there was no one he would rather see than Timothy. And so he says in verse 9, Make every effort to come to me soon. Paul knew that he would soon be executed, he didn't know how long that would be, but he wanted desperately to see Timothy again before he died. And so he pleads with him here, make every effort, do all that you can to come see me and to do so soon. If you look down to verse 21, we'll come back to this later, but he also says in verse 21, make every effort to come before winter. That puts a time frame on it. It kind of guarantees that Timothy wouldn't be held up by the difficulties of winter travel. It would also allow Timothy to bring some things, as we'll see, to Paul they would need for the winter. I've mentioned their relationship before. How Paul considered Timothy to be his true child in the faith. How Paul served as Timothy's mentor in life and ministry. How Timothy accompanied Paul on some of his missionary journeys, how they had this close personal and professional relationship, and how Paul saw Timothy as his successor, the one to whom he would hand over responsibility for the churches which Paul had started. 
And so it's very clear because of that relationship, it's very clear why Paul would want Timothy to come see him. But there was someone else that Paul asked Timothy to bring. And that was Mark, also known as John Mark. If you look at the end of verse 11, he says, Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Now it's very interesting to me to find Paul here asking Timothy to bring Mark. If this was a teaching session and not a sermon, I would ask some questions. I would generate some discussion. And I would ask you, why? Why do you think that is? Why is it surprising to find Paul asking Timothy to bring Mark? And why is it surprising to hear Paul say here that Mark was useful to him for ministry? You might recall that when the church sent Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary journey, they took a young man named Mark, also known as John Mark, along with them. This is the very man to whom Paul is referring here. We don't know why, but somewhere along the way on that first missionary journey, in the first part of that journey, before they'd gone very far and done very much, Mark left. Left Paul, left Barnabas, left the trip, and returned back to Jerusalem. When it came time to go on the second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take Mark again. But Paul would have nothing of it. He could not get past the fact that Mark had abandoned them, uh, that Mark had uh, not continued with them, that Mark had not gone to the work with them. And the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas became so intense over Mark that they eventually split and went in different directions. It's clear that somewhere along the way, Paul and Mark were reconciled. And Paul developed an appreciation for Mark's gifts and for Mark's service. So much so that here at the end of his life, the two men that he wants with him the most are Timothy and Mark. Paul's asking here for human companionship. Why did he desperately want someone to be with him at this point in his life. It is because, as we find in the text, so many of his friends and co-workers had either deserted him or been sent to serve in other places. Paul is lonely. He is very much alone. It almost reminds me of Jesus in the closing days of his life, right before his crucifixion, where so many who had followed Jesus, who had supported Jesus, who had been with Jesus, left. And he was there, basically alone. Here is Paul in somewhat the same situation. Many of those he thought he could count on had abandoned him. And the saddest case of all is a man named Demas. In fact, verse 10 contains some of the saddest words in the Bible. Where he says, For Demas, 
having loved this present world, has deserted me. We don't know much about Demas. We do know that Paul considered him to be a fellow worker. He mentions him in other letters as being someone who's with him. Uh, Demas appeared to be a believer. He was engaged in the work of the gospel. He participated in ministry. But it's clear that Demas's heart apparently was not completely in it. It appears that perhaps he fell away, if not just from the ministry, also from his faith. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. The Bible says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and the world. Let those words sink in for just a moment. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. In the end, it doesn't matter so much what we say because words can be false. Our appearance really doesn't matter. Because appearances can be deceiving. Even being involved in ministry can be misleading. Because people often do it with wrong motives. We all know ministers who have left the ministry and or renounced their faith. We're dealing with the fourth such type of individual in our presbytery now. The fourth in seven years. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7? He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles? And Jesus said, then I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. There are some of the saddest words in the Bible. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. But there were others who had left or been sent away. If you look at verse 10, he says, Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Then in verse 12, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And then he says in verse 11, only Luke is with me. Now that's not disparaging to Luke when he says only Luke is with me. What he's saying here is to hear this end of his life the only person he really had with him was his friend and longtime companion Dr. Luke but that did not alleviate his desire to have others Timothy and Mark in particular so that's the first request the second request was for Timothy to bring some special things with him things that Paul needed or wanted and we find that request in verse 13 where he says when you come bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books especially the parchments Paul wanted Timothy to bring his coat a very practical request something to take care of his physical needs uh, that prison cell was not heated and that's another reason why 
Paul tells him in verse 21, make every effort to come soon. See that you come before winter because he knew if he was still alive when winter came, he would need that coat. But Paul also asked him to bring something to help not just with his physical needs, but his spiritual needs. He asked for his books and for especially the parchments. The books were probably scrolls of the Old Testament. Paul is asking Timothy to bring to him the word of God that he might read it, study it, and meditate on it. He also asked him to bring the parchments. The parchments were expensive vellum sheets made out of specially prepared animal hides. And we're not sure exactly what these parchments were. They could have been some of Paul's own writings. These vellum sheets were they used to write letters in those days. Could have been some of Paul's own writings or letters. Could have been blank vellum sheets for him to use to write more letters. But for a book hound like me, it's encouraging to find Paul telling Timothy, when you come, bring my books. So that's the, the first thing we find is these two requests that Paul makes of Timothy. Second, I want you to see a last warning that Paul gives to Timothy. And the warning is again about false teaching. So much of these two letters, First and Second Timothy, have been about the dangers of false teaching and false teachers. Timothy, was, remember, was to guard the, the church against false teaching. He was to stand up to the false teachers. He was to instruct the people in sound doctrine so they might know to identify false teaching when they heard it. It was a big deal to Paul. It ought to be a big deal to us. Well, here in verses 14 and 15, he names one particular false teacher, and the man's name was Alexander. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds, be on guard against him, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Alexander probably lived, we assume, in Ephesus, where Timothy was living and ministering. And when Paul had been there, Alexander was a thorn in his side, vigorously opposing his teaching, he says. He says he was, he did me much harm. And he says the Lord will take care of him. The Lord will repay him for it. But he encourages Timothy here to, to be on guard himself against this man, to, to watch out for him because he did him so much harm. Now, in, uh, at the end of verse 14, we find him saying, The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You know, there, there's, as Paul is taking his own message to heart, isn't he? Romans 13, what did Paul say? Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. That's so hard, isn't it? You know, sometimes we want to just get even, we want to lash out, we want to get revenge. But here the Apostle Paul is able to do what he preached himself. So look, he was, he's, he's a problem. You need to watch out for him. But the Lord will deal with him in his own way and in his own time. Then third, I want you to see a word of testimony that Paul gave to Timothy in these final thoughts. And we find that word of testimony in verses 16 through 18. Now I pointed out that Paul is very honest here about his sense of loneliness, his sense of abandonment, by many of his partners and supporters. 
Verse 16, he says this, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. Again, Paul must have felt a lot like Jesus, who in his greatest hour of difficulty, right before he went to the cross, he looked around and said, where is everybody? Everyone on whom he thought he could depend was gone. There was no one there. Even Peter was hanging back at a distance as Jesus went through his trial. But just like Jesus, Paul doesn't hold it against them. Doesn't hold a grudge. Says at the end of verse 16, may it not be counted against them. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Here, Paul is saying, May it not be counted against them. His testimony of faithfulness, God's faithfulness is found in verse 17. Where he's just said, all these other people deserted me, no one supported me. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So that through me the proclamation might be foolish, accomplished, and that the Gentiles might hear. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Paul knew that when push came to shove, when it seemed like he was at his wit's end and when he was all alone, there was always someone there and always someone there to help. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we sang a hymn to begin our worship. It's the great hymn, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Then he goes on to say what? Friends may fail me. Foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. In those times of life when it seems like your friends have abandoned you and your enemies are attacking you, you must remember that God is always there. It doesn't matter how lonely you may seem to be. How deserted you may feel. How neglected it might appear that you are. You are never, ever really alone. Because God is always there. He has made a promise never to leave you, never to forsake you. And God never goes back on any promise that He has made, so matter, no matter how dark the day, no matter how difficult the experience, God is always there. And that's Paul's testimony. No one stood with me. Everyone deserted me. But God was there. And God strengthened me. The Lord stood with me. And then fourth, I want you to see some final greetings that Paul wanted to give to Timothy and that Paul wanted Timothy to give to others. You know, Paul was a very relational person. His ministry was all about people. And he was always encouraged and blessed by the relationships God gave with him within the body of Christ. And he names names. He names specific people. People he wanted to extend greetings to. Uh, uh, to Timothy from them and 
and people he wanted Timothy to greet on his behalf as well. Look with me at verse 19. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick in Miletus. Then uh, 21, Eubulus greets you, also Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. I've said before that ministry, for the most part, is all about relationships. At least that's the only way I know how to do ministry. It's not only teaching people about the love of Christ, but it's showing the love of Christ to them. It's not just telling people that God loves them unconditionally. It's trying to love them that way yourself. You see, within the context of ministry in the church, and that's where we are in 2 Timothy, this is the context of ministry in the church, a mentor writing to his pupil about ministry. And the reality is that I don't have a good relationship with you. If somehow our relationship has been bruised or fractured, by something I've done or said to hurt you or to wound you, then you won't benefit and profit from the ministry here as you would otherwise. And Paul knew that to be true, and so his ministry was all about relationships. I've told you before that I may not be, and I'm not. It's not a matter of may not be. I'm not the smartest guy. And I'm not the most theologically astute person you'll find. And I'm certainly not the greatest preacher you can secure. But one thing I can do, the one thing I have control over, is I can love you. I can love people. And that's one of the things I've tried to do over the years, is love people and give my life in service to them. And for me, that's the heart of the ministry. And those kinds of relationships withstand the test of time. This past week, one of the members of my first church passed away. And so Wednesday night, I went down for the visitation. Went to that church almost 35 years ago. This couple was uh, joined the church while we were there. They were old enough to be our parents. Uh, John was 84 when he died. We spent a lot of time together. We've kept up with each other. We loved each other. And so I went down for that visitation. Spoke to his widow, to his two sons. And it wasn't just the Hans brothers. There were the Smiths, Joe and Wanda. There were the Hubbards, Joe and Hugh. Remember Fairley and Tony Cooper? Fairley's mom and dad. Folks, that was a long time ago. That was decades ago. But the relationships we form in the body of Christ are eternal. The relationships we have with each other here matter. They matter because they're not just a time and space. But they matter because they are knit together by the love of Jesus. And that's so unique about the body of Christ. 
That's what's so unique about the church. We have so much going and coming here at North Point, don't we? But we're about to say goodbye to one of the dearest couples that use their gifts to us. But you know, that doesn't break our bond in Christ. When you go to Hattiesburg and you're eating at a restaurant and you run into the, the Bentons 10 years from now, guess what? Man, you're going to reach out, you're going to grab them, and you're going to hug them because you have that love of Christ in your heart for them. It's all about relationships. If we're just teaching knowledge for knowledge's sake, it doesn't impact and change the heart and grip you and change you, knit you together. You're wasting our time. But the gospel is really making a difference. Changing your life. Drawing you closer to Christ and closer to each other in his love. Then we're doing something significant here. As I conclude first and second Timothy. I want to say one last thing. This morning we opened our service singing hymns about Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. We sang a hymn about Jesus being a friend for sinners. And Jesus having a name that is above all names. And this morning I want to hold Jesus before you. Because Jesus is the common thread that runs through these letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. It's all about Jesus. This morning if you are in the place in your life where you're not sure if you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, if you're not sure this morning that if you died tonight you would go to heaven, if you're not sure about your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and this morning I would encourage you, I would invite you, I would exhort you to place your faith and your trust in Him. To give your heart and your life to Him to turn to him in repentance from your sin and in saving faith, trusting in his work of grace through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. No one can make that decision for you. No one can take that step for you. It is the most individual, personalized thing you will ever do. And it is the most important thing you will ever do. And so this morning I invite you to Jesus to look to Him, to trust in Him, to believe in Him, and to follow Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. We pray this morning for Your grace to be evident in our lives here at North Point that we would give evidence of the difference the gospel makes. Thank you so much for 
the truth of your word, the impact it has in us and on us, the difference it makes. And I pray that you would continue to build our relationship with each other as we grow in our relationship with you. That we might truly be the body of Christ here. Functioning as you would have us to function. Serving as you would have us to serve. Worshiping as you have us to worship. That you might receive all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.